one of the first uh, revelations was of um, um, two major spies in the underground in the Prenzlauerberg, uh, and there were two figures, particularly one figure, Sasha Andersen, who was thought to be one of the scene's talented, avant-garde, hippest poet. <laughs> This is Cold War Conversations. If you're new here, you've come to the right place to listen to first-hand Cold War history accounts. Do make sure you follow us in your podcast app or join our emailing list at coldwarconversations.com. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Alison Lewis, who is a professor of German in the School of Languages and Linguistics at the University of Melbourne, Australia. She is also the co-author of Cold War Spy Stories from Eastern Europe, which is published in August 2019. Now, several of our fans are proud owners of a Cold War Conversations coaster, a gift from me to thank them for helping the podcast financially. For the price of a couple of coffees a month to cover the show's increasing costs and keep us on the air, you can get a coaster too. Just go to patreon.com slash coldwarpod. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash coldwarpod. Now back to today's episode. Dr. Lewis is also the author of The Art of Betrayal, Prenzlauer Berg and State Security, published in 2003. This tells the story of the alternative writer and artist scene in Prenzlauer Berg, East Berlin, in the early 1980s, and its infiltration by the Stasi. Um, we did have a little bit of a problem finding somewhere to record this, so we're now in Manchester Central Library in a quiet corner but you may hear some piano music in the background if somebody goes on the piano that's uh, around the corner but uh, that's atmosphere I think I know that in one of your um, pieces of work you you wrote about this Stasi's penetration of the underground literary scene in Prenzlauer Berg can you tell me something about that well um the um when the the war came down and the Stasi files were, were rescued and and then um sort of secured and and started to be opened. One of the first uh, revelations was of um, um, two major spies in the underground, in the Prenzlauerberg, uh, and there were two figures, particularly one figure, Sasha Andersen, who was thought to be one of the scene's talented, avant-garde, hippest <laughs> poet. <laughs> and, you know, everybody... And it was interesting, when I was there in the 80s, everybody was in the underground that I met, was talking about him, about what a cool dude he was <laughs> and, and how, he, um, how he'd done such amazing things for the East German underground and for this generation of, this forgotten generation of poets. And, I, and it turned out he was a spy. And that sort of has been one of my major <laughs> interests of the and, last 20 And what, years. what was his motivation for, for that? Wow. Was it an ego trip? Oh, he's such a complex character. I'm still trying to work it out. I have read his uh, 11 volume file. It was, it disappeared for 10 years and it appeared in duplicate because everything was in duplicate or triplicate mm. or, and, um, what it was his motivation. Oh, it was, conf he was confused. He, he was, he was blackmailed. 
Um, people don't like to talk about that much, but he actually was. He tried to get rid of the Stasi for about five years. They turned up on his doorstep. He just said, don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm not interested in you. This is all written down verbatim. Right. He doesn't say this. It's all in the files. He told us he was not interested in working for us. He told us that he had a job. He did not want to work, be a spy. But he doesn't tell us that. So, so you can see what sort of confused, yeah. sort of what a complex character he is. Yeah, because I guess once you give them one piece of information to them, they've got that hold over you. And then, and, and the position that he's in, where he appears to be this avant-garde, almost dissident-like figure, and for them to then, you know, tell people, well, he's, he's actually working for... Well, that would be the fear, I presume, with the blackmail. Was that the, the basis um, of the blackmail, or was it something different? Well, oh, he'd been in prison for <laughs> for um, forging a check. He put a zero in front of a, a, in a figure, and so they arrested him. <laughs> oh, so it's a lot more simplistic lot than simplistic. I thought, then. When I say blackmail, I suppose, no, no, he wasn't blackmail. Well, he, let's say he was um, coerced. You know, they just they wore him down. It was a war of attrition for about five years, and he said, "Oh, all right, um, I'll 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 meet with you." But it was only if he could sort of meet his own objective. So he thought he could have his cake and eat it too, and he thought he could keep things separate. And he was, a, and I really do believe he was quite a genuine member of the underground. He promoted himself, <laughs> a bit of a narcissist, uh, but he promoted the people he liked. But he ended up promoting a whole, you know, a whole swag of young poets who were banned. You know, they had no voice uh, in the East. And so, um, but of course, he betrayed them all at the same time. And so, um, but the, the, there is this sort of belief among some people that he protected them to a certain extent because they couldn't arrest them all because they'd have to arrest their own informant. Yeah, and then um, people would think, hang on, how hang how on. do they know all of this? How do they know yeah. all this? So, exactly, how do they know this? So, and then there was a second guy who was played second fiddle, um, Rainer Shudlinski, and he, um, he was less, oh, he was genuinely blackmailed. Although that's still not, yeah, he, he was in an institution and he was in hospital, and, um, it's less clear about that, although they all, he, he had to invent a legend, a legenda, which is sort of like mm. a, you're a cover story. Mm. And it's so hard to know whether the, the cover story is often really close to the truth. So it's hard to know whether. Those are the best cover stories. <laughs> I've read these spy novels. Oh, you And read the, the, the best legends are the ones that <laughs> the are really ones. close to the truth. Well, this is exactly like with Shedlinsky. And the, and the legend was that he was um, in, it had tried to commit suicide, I think. He was in hospital and then. Hi, this is Rhonda in Virginia, and I support Cold War conversations because I think the work that Ian is doing is critically important. I think it's vital to record the firsthand accounts of people who lived and experienced the Cold War uh, because it illustrates history in a way that a book never can. So thank you so much for the podcast. It's my favorite podcast, and I look forward to it every week to be like Rhonda and help to preserve these incredible stories of the Cold War. As a monthly or annual supporter, you'll be able to listen ad-free, you'll become one of our community, get the sought-after Cold War Conversations drinks coaster as a thank you, and you'll bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve Cold War history. Just go to coldwarconversations.com 
slash donate to find out more. You know, it was blackmail because of that and... And, you know, so, yeah, I sort of do believe that. But on the other hand, I think maybe saw he was an opportunist. And so I think these are often opportunists mm. and that think, oh, I, I'm going to get a little leg up somehow or other through just having a few little secret channels to people in, you know, the Stasi seems to know what's happening. If I meet with them, then I might find out whether I'm likely to be arrested or if the, what I'm doing is legal or illegal. So for them, it was the knowing where if the state was going to pounce on them because they were producing so-called illegal pamphlets and, and anthologies, but they flew under the radar because they didn't have to go through the censorship. Mm. So they could check whether this was actually legal or illegal. Right. So none of these guys were getting specific privileges like no. access to hard currency shops and things like, or access to hard currency well, and things like paid. that. they were paid. So they did get something like, oh, you know, between 200 and 500 Mark, so so they were getting paid. So what they did with that is, I don't really know. Um, but um, but I mean, a lot of them in the undergrad had had friends in the West, and so they would come over the border, bringing them, you know, newspapers, the Spiegel, you know, anything that they wanted to read. And so you didn't really need to work to, for the Stasi, and then your rent was free, your transport was free. <laughs> You didn't really. And you didn't have it, you know, you lived a bohemian life, so you didn't need expensive clothes, you just needed a pair of jeans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I interviewed uh, a number of episodes back uh, an English woman who was a teacher in East Berlin, and she said that, you know, it was difficult to almost spend the money that she had because, well, there wasn't a lot to spend it on, but food was just incredibly cheap, transport was cheap. And um, oh, when I got on a tram that with with someone that I was visiting who was also in the underground, he said, "Oh no, you don't pay. <laughs> Nobody pays." And I just said, "Oh, okay." And um, you know, yeah, everything was cheap. They yeah. had big apartments, so al- alcohol was cheap, food was cheap. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you know, these things that their money, I don't. They they didn't do it mm. for the money. They did it for the sort of the knowledge advantage. Mm. I think. So, so you you met with this underground scene when you were there in eighty six. Well, I did. I, I, you know, when I was supposed to be studying in the library, um, <laughs> reading up about. Well, there wasn't any much literature in the library that I really needed, and so I, um, I had the name of someone who was um, a poet, and given to me by a West German poet, and um, and uh, so I, I couldn't find him because. He wasn't in the phone book because he didn't have a phone. And then I eventually found his wife's parents, and and um, I that's got... pretty good going without the internet to be able to track <laughs> yes. somebody down that way. That's pretty good espionage. <laughs> uh... <laughs> it was. I'm actually should be quite proud of myself because I think I had to walk a lot. I remember walking and I and I'd knock on doors saying, you know, I wanted to. Oh, this is straight out of Le Carre and Len Dayton <laughs> now. <laughs> And I ended up going through these hinterherbe, you know, the second courtyards, mm. and they ended up with the with the ex-wife's parents, and they were very interesting. And so I ended up finding this person, and he then took me to oh, and it was took me to all his friends, and they were all unemployed. They had all been arrested once or twice, interrogated oh. once or twice, and released. And so this was the other side of the the my experience where I discovered that. Oh, you could live 
on the other side of on the sort of the dark so almost off the grid off the live. grid yeah you could yeah. live off the grid they did they had um that's right they all lived quite well one of them said she did a lot of posing for for um posing in the nude for photography <laughs> and yeah did and and drove trams although she was a trained vet and things like that and unbelievable <laughs> So Unbelievable! There's a, well, there's, there's a there's a paper in that tram driver come mo, um, um, art model art model <laughs> come vet <laughs> come vet. So um, yeah, um, so I did, and then I um, and so this the person I met the part told me about Sasha Anderson, who by this stage was in the West because he had left, and he just praised him and said, "Oh, you shouldn't read that." old feminist poetry you should read this cool current poetry and I thought oh and I you know I thought oh I'll have to really get into this one day and then I did but it was because I discovered he was a spy not my friend but the, but Sasha yeah. Anderson was yeah. the spy so did you actually meet Sasha Anderson no unfortunately I didn't I didn't meet him uh, I did meet um Roland Jan who was who's now head of the the Stasi Behörde in, um, I met him very briefly at, would you believe, this is a good story. I met him. We like good you stories. Like good keep stories. going, right, keep I'm going. Sorry to go on. Um, because I was in East Berlin, I wanted actually to go back to West Berlin to see my cousin, but I heard there was a Wolf Biermann concert, his 10th anniversary of being kicked out, um, of, of the East. And, you know, everybody's saying, well, you've got to go. So I wanted to go back, and so I managed to get this multiple re-entry visa. So I went to the Wolf Biermann concert, and I think I touched base with Roland Jan, but I recorded it on my um, <laughs> on my Walkman, um, very eighties. Brilliant technology. bootleg, my bootleg, bootleg recording of Wolf Biermann concert. That's right, and I have no idea what I did with it. Um, I lost my bootleg recording and, and then I went back on that same evening I went back to the east with my bootleg I don't know quite what I was thinking whether I thought this was a smart thing a brave thing to do or whether I just didn't think I wasn't searched or anything but I went back to my friend and um, and said oh you know I've got, got some tapes and stuff and he, he wasn't all, all that interested I think I think at that point he thought, you can't trust her. You know, if I give him my bootleg, she might be a... You thought might be a provocateur. Provocateur, yeah. And so I did start to realise that maybe I was just being really, really naive and he might think I was some sort of Mm. agent. Um, But I was coming and going. Yeah, I came and went and... Yeah. Freedom, really. Nothing really happened to me at all. Yeah. (laughs) Well, they probably hadn't heard many Australian accents in East Berlin, so they probably thought it was some wonky training of English or something. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what they thought. So I said, I'm, I don't think I have a Stasi file, but um, I should one day try to find it. I really don't think they had the resources, but who knows? I was hanging out with these well, yeah, people who've got quite fat files. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and have you looked at their files? Yes. And I, there's no mention of, of, of you in there. Me. Um, and your Wolf Beerman tape. Have my Wolf Beerman. No, I haven't actually looked at the, the person I visited's file, um, but I have looked at lots of files. And I do sometimes get very close to that time when I was there. 
Because when I was there was this thing called the summer, um, the week of peace. No, uh, 10 days of peace. It was a peace event, underground peace event in the Samarita church. So I went along to that every night. And a lot of, most of the people there would have been, well, a lot of them probably would have been under some sort of surveillance. Mm. Not all of them. Mm. But maybe, maybe I'll one day I'll talk to the people at the archives yeah. and say, can you just see if anybody with my name is so, so can you get anybody's file from the archive? I'm intrigued. Do you have to be a professional researcher or could I just say I'd like your file? No, you have to have a um, either you have you can apply for your own, mm. or, um, or you as a researcher or a journalist can say I have a research project, and you have to fill out a form, and you get then within the the framework of that project they will give you things, but if it's outside of the orbit of the mm. project they won't. Well, Cobalt Conversations has a very broad remit, That's so right. uh, maybe I'll give it a go. Well, that's all we had time for, but there are links to Dr. Lewis's books in the show notes, as well as other information about the Prenzlauer Berg literary scene. We also have an episode on Dr. Lewis's new book, Cold War Spy Stories, coming up in the next month or so, so stay tuned for that. The show notes are at coldwarconversations.com slash the word episode and the number 71. Now, I am putting together a special 30th anniversary episode on the fall of the Berlin Wall. So if you have any accounts you'd like to share on the show, do email me at ian at coldwarpod.com. That's ian at coldwarpod.com. And if you can think of anybody who has a great story to share, then do put them in contact with me. If you like what you're listening to, you can really help us by leaving reviews on iTunes, Stitcher, our Facebook page, or with your favourite podcast provider. This really helps us raise our profile and get new guests on the show. If you can't wait for the next episode, do visit our Facebook discussion group where our guests and listeners like yourselves continue the Cold War conversation. Just search for Cold War Conversations on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at Cold War Pod and Instagram at Cold War Conversations. Thank you very much for listening. It is really appreciated. Goodbye. not enjoying the ads well you can avoid them by going to coldwarconversations.com slash donate by becoming a monthly or annual supporter you'll enjoy ad-free listening become a part of our community receive the sought after cold war conversations drinks coaster and bask in the warm glow of knowing that you're helping to preserve cold war history 
Just go to coldwarconversations.com slash donate for more information.